Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Isn't it great that we live in a country that we can celebrate Maroon Friday however we choose? I know many of you are wearing those national championship shirts today. It's glorious. We never get tired of talking about that. We don't. Speaking of that, if you guys are uh, in the market for some new reading material, perhaps uh, a gift for the Mississippi State fans in your life, you can now pre-order Dogpile. It's the uh, book chronicling Mississippi State's 2021 National Championship season. You can pre-order at Dogpile, the book, that's D-A-W-G, pile, the book, dot com. If you'd like to have the book personalized, because every pre-order will be signed, but if you'd like it personalized to a friend or something like that, there is a notes section in the order that you can put what you'd like. Hey, Steve, write this to so-and-so, Hell State, whatever. We can do all that. So go to dogpiledthebook.com today. Get your pre-orders in. We opened up the link a few days ago. We've already sold several hundred books. We expect to sell probably two or 3,000 pre-orders. And again, let me guarantee you this. If, if you buy from the website, you're 100% guaranteed to get a book. Don't know what's going to happen once they hit the bookstores. Many bookstores are already taking pre-orders, and so... The best way to ensure that you get as many copies as you want and get them personalized the way you want without having to come to a book signing and stand in line and that sort of stuff, you can just order directly from the website. Now, you don't get to see me and give me a hug and that sort of stuff, and I understand uh, what, that, what that means to you. I really do. But dogpilethebook.com. While you're there, you can also get Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. All those URLs go to the same place. And so all four of the sports-related books are available at dogpiledthebook.com. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, many of you are. I get uh, messages just about every day. You can find that. Your local bookstore can order it for you, or you can order it yourself at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com. 
wherever great bookstores are sold. If you want that personalized, you're going to need to uh, order via phone through Bookmart and Cafe here in Starkville. Call them, say, hey, I'd like to get this book and have Steve sign it. I'll go down there. I go down there a couple days each week and sign your orders. And so that's kind of where we are with all of that. Excited about what's happening for sure. Excited to get Dogpile uh, on the market for you guys. And many of you have reached out and wanted to know when and how to pre-order. Well, now you can. Simple as that. Dogpiledabook.com. Also get messages regularly uh, from people who listen to the show, and they say they can't remember the website. But StarkVillains.com to get your Stark Villain t-shirts. Every time I wear one around town, somebody says, hey, where'd you get that? Well, it's StarkVillains.com. Pretty easy to take care of that, too. You can get hoodies there, too. We're starting to get some nicer weather. It's, it woke up with a little bit of a chill in the air today. And how cool was that? I think the high this weekend is like uh, high 80s. I think we're in the, the 80s most every day next week. And uh, our friend Stan Dora told us here about uh, a couple weeks ago that we're done with the hundreds. We're done with the hundreds. And, and uh, grateful for that. I'm getting old. I don't, I don't like the heat nearly as much as I did. Just don't like it. We only get about two weeks of fall weather, so I'm going to enjoy it. You know, it seems like we go from summer to uh, about 10 days to 14 days of autumn. And the next thing you know, it's cold. But, uh, you know, I enjoy wearing blue jeans too, so we'll look forward to that. We can all dig out our leather jackets and put that on and walk around looking cool. How about that? Excited to, uh, to kind of get that going too. So should be a great weekend in Starkville. We'll preview the SEC weekend here on the show. Got a couple other things we want to talk about also, too. Uh, we go back to uh, this moment, MSU history, with Portico later in the show. Got to talk about the, a, a famous Mississippi State-NC State matchup. You know, we've only played six times. And it's kind of weird to think about that. Only six times in history. We split them 3-3, and the last three have been in the postseason. And so we're going to talk a little bit about one of those matchups today and uh, kind of take you a trip down memory lane. Should be a great show. Got another great top ten list. A lot of response to the first favorites list. A lot of people said, you know what, Steve, I got into that band because of this song or that song. I enjoy talking music with you guys, too, especially when I have some time. And it seems like once we get through this weekend, I'll have a little more time. I'm going to get back to doing the recovery podcast. Many of you have asked about that as well. It's been a while since I've done one of those, but uh, working on step six for the I Am Steve R podcast. You can go find those. They're on iTunes too. Spotify, everywhere you get podcasts, you can find those recovery podcasts. And I, I will share them pretty liberally on uh, you know, on social media once I do them. My hope is to get back to doing that once a week. There has been a lot of people that have messaged me about that. And I haven't forgotten about it. I just had time to do it. There's only so many hours in the day. You know, when you're writing a book, and that's one thing I'll share with you guys too. You know, when I first started writing books, I didn't know how to write books. And then you learn how to you know, kind of manage your time, put a writing schedule together, get an outline. There's a lot that goes into it. Starting a book, interviewing people, writing a book, doing the fact-checking, doing the researching, all that stuff's fun. To start a book is fun. To continue writing the book is fun. To finish a book is not fun. There is so much that goes on you know, to finish a book. And uh, again, I've been done writing this thing for a while. And uh, now here we are kind of finalizing uh, the last few details. I hope we don't have to change anything, but uh, you never know. But we hope to have all that done, and uh, we're, da- we're down to kind of getting the last few images and kind of getting that little photo gallery together for you guys too. And so uh, excited about it, 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 ready for you guys to have it in your hands. 
really ready just to kind of see what's going to happen next, you know? Because I don't know if I'm going to write a book next year. A lot of people ask that. Well, Steve, what's next? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't anticipate writing one this year. I prepared for it, but I ended up writing two books this year. And so don't know. Might take next year off. We'll just have to see how things progress. I've still got the recovery book to finish at some point. I'm about 25,000 words into that. Actually, I was writing that in 2016 when I got the book contract for Flim Flam. And now here we are, five books later in four years. So, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a good run. But I don't know what next year holds, and that's kind of the, the fun of it all. It's just the mystery in life of, you know, you never know what's going to pop up. I've, got, I've had some people contact me about writing their books, helping them write their memoirs. And so, you know, maybe I do that next year. Maybe I don't do anything. We'll, we'll see. But I will keep you guys updated as things progress. Had dinner last night uh, with the fine folks at the, uh, the grill, you know, part of that great family of restaurants that includes Bulldog Burger Company. You know, guys, one of the things that I love about dealing with the Eat With Us group is consistency. There are a lot of places you go, and one, one night it's good, the next night it's just kind of average, and then some nights it's not. That's just not the case with these folks. You know, Bulldog Burger Company is a great place to work. It is a great place to break bread. It's a great place to do business. And I know that they are hiring in most locations. So give them an opportunity to, uh, to give you some employment. And uh, yeah, listen, there are so many people that I know that have worked at this great family of restaurants that have such great experiences and such great stories to tell about management and organization. Let me encourage you, if you're looking for employment, give those people an opportunity. Fill out an application today. Go to eatwithus.com or go by any of the locations and uh, pick up a paper application. But um, I, I guess they still do that. But nevertheless, uh, Bulldog Burger Company, three great locations to serve you. I, I, I love going in there. I love the service. I love the portions. I've told you guys so many times. That's really the big thing, too, is the portions. There are so many places you go. It's like they're, they're cutting back, cutting back. They're not lowering the price, but they're giving you less from, for what you paid for. That's just not the case at Bulldog Burger Company. I, I don't know that I've ever finished a meal at Bulldog Burger Company. You always get your money's worth there. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And a brand new one. Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Again, getting great reviews about that. Not surprised in the least. Ian Few, a tremendous leader. Guy understands the Bulldog Burger uh, system for sure. Go by Find Your Own Favorites. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Let's take a few minutes here. And let's be honest with one another, all right? The first thing that I want to tell you guys, I love all of y'all. I do. I absolutely love you to death, some more than others, but I love each of you. But some of y'all make my head hurt. I'm not going to lie. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about this whole Dak Prescott thing, saying Halton High School. Is this really a big deal? I mean, honestly. I mean, Dak Prescott has been arguably the greatest ambassador of Mississippi State football uh, for this generation. And Dak Prescott, of his own expense, went to Omaha, cheered for your team to win an AFL championship. He was there in his Mississippi State baseball jersey, he and his fiancée, and, you know, very supportive. Went down and talked to your players after the game. You know, bought the uh, the team Beats uh, headphones, I guess is correct. It's just um, – it's just one of those things that I look at. If, if there's ever been anybody that uh, <laughs> has had misplaced loyalty, it's not Dak Prescott. 
Dak Prescott loves Mississippi State. Dak Prescott loves Mississippi State football. Dak Prescott loves you. He loves me. He loves Starkville. And so for people to kind of question his loyalty a little bit, I, I think is a little bit offensive. You know, I know we always look for something to be offended about. I, I just think this is really, really silly. It's really, really silly. And 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 listen, I, I'm going to speak kind of frank with you too. It's you know, it's like, can, can we be a little more secure? I mean, why are we so insecure about that? It just it makes no sense to me. Why are we so upset because he said his high school? You know. I am uh, incredibly grateful to everybody that has helped provide me with education over the years, many of it in a classroom, some of it just in real-world type situations. And so sometimes you can't mention everybody. It's just like when I get ready to write books, you know, there's the acknowledgement section, and you got to go out there and you write all the people that helped you throughout the writing process, and, and inevitably I forget somebody. I do. It doesn't mean that I love them any less. And I hate it. My, my very first book, I left out my baby sister Reagan's name. Probably my biggest fan. Left her name out of the book. And so I had to kind of give her a special paragraph in the next ones. But, you know, it's never anything to be slighted about. Dak Prescott loves you. There's no rift. That's not like, and, I, and I love these people, too, that uh, get in the Facebook groups or get on social media, and they suggest that perhaps they know something that is unsavory. Oh, well, you know. Now you know, let's go, something's up. You know, no, nothing's up. Nothing is up. But we want to act like we know something to suggest, you know, you know, oh, well, he doesn't like you guys, or he doesn't like what's going on with Mississippi State football, or he's upset that we didn't beat Louisiana Tech worse, or, you know, he came to the drink, again, came to the game and didn't get enough ice in his drinks. I mean, it's like, guys, sometimes we just have to learn to accept things on face value. I, don't, I just don't understand why we would anybody would ever question Dak Prescott. And you know what? I'm sure he's awfully proud to be from Halton, Louisiana. I'm sure he's awfully proud to be an ambassador for that high school program and to be a guy that has uh, achieved his dreams to show that, you know, a small-town Louisiana guy can go out there and do some big things. And so, you know, we don't – you know, while, while Dak obviously feels somewhat indebted to Mississippi State, and, and I guess in many ways he should. I mean, Mississippi State provided him an opportunity to showcase his talents, and now he's in the National Football League. But he doesn't have to say Mississippi State every time. People are like, oh, well, everybody else did it. Guys, listen, there have been some guys that don't even mention any institution. And let me go ahead and prepare you for this. They shoot a lot of that stuff uh, in the beginning of the year. So I guess if they're back on, uh, you know, that, that, you know, Monday night football, Thursday night football type deal, it's probably going to be said again. And people are going to say, oh, well, he did it again. No, it was just pre-recorded. They're just using the same clips. They don't do it every week. It's almost like the whole situation, you know, where some people say I love you just to hear I love you too. You know what I mean? It's like, well, the only reason that I said it is because I needed to be reassured. I needed to be, you know, reassured. Hey, you still like me, right? You're not upset because I didn't take the trash out yesterday, right? You know, there's just, there's some insecurity involved with all of it. And again, it just, it makes no sense. You're just kind of working yourselves up into a tizzy over nothing. It's something that's just really not important. Trust me, Dak Prescott does a lot for Mississippi State. I mean, how many videos have you seen? Just here, you know, last weekend, they had the uh, the College Colors Day, and he shoots a special video. That's a busy guy taking time out of his day to shoot a short video to rep Mississippi State. 
And so it's just the whole thing is just really silly to me. And I listen, I'm not sitting in judgment of anybody. I just think you're worrying about something that doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't matter. And it's like everybody says, well, you know, well, Fletcher Cox did this and Fletcher Cox did that. You know, Fletcher Cox also is a guy that spends time here on campus during the offseason. He was here just a couple of years ago, worked out some time in the summer. Came to meet Joe Moorhead, you know. And so Fletcher Cox, incredibly grateful to Mississippi State. You know, a lot of the, the whole thing about Yazoo City High School was to try to be an example. And also, too, one of his uh, high school coaches, it was very instrumental in his development, his recruitment, and his maturation as a man, passed away unexpectedly. And so I just – I wish that we could kind of evolve and grow to the point that we're not so sensitive about little things like that. Oh, they didn't mention us. What, what, what's going on? You guys, it's okay. I mean, it really is. You don't think we're getting enough publicity out of Dak Prescott? I mean, everybody in the country knows that Dak Prescott played at Mississippi State. And listen, I, I think it's great any time that that's, we're mentioned on, on the National Football League or Major League Baseball, it's great. You see all the Hunter Renfro stuff out there these days. Probably played his way into a really nice, you know, contract extension with the Red Sox, hopefully. The guys had a really good year. And so and there was times that we didn't have any stars in pro sports. We just didn't. And now we do. And so let's kind of appreciate it for what it is, and let's not make it make a mountain out of a molehill just because we feel somewhat slighted. I just don't think it's – I think it's a waste of energy. It is a waste of emotional energy for everybody involved. And, again, you can feel however you want to. But, again, I think this is a nothing burger. This is absolutely nothing to get upset about. There is in no way any rift between Mississippi State and Dak Prescott. And and I, I kind of giggle when I say that stuff because it's just – there's just so many people out there that, you know, want to suggest, well, maybe there's a problem. No, there's no problem. There's not. There's absolutely no problem. Uh you know, Dak's uncle's pretty prolific on social media. And, uh, you know, tr- trust me, if there was a problem, we'd know. You know, there's just – there's not. And, it's just, again, I think about the image of Dak going to the College World Series and being there for the finals and, you know, there with some friends and family and uh, enjoying some time, rooting for his alma mater. And then, you know, what is it just over two months later, you know, people are beginning to wonder, well, is there a problem? <laughs> no, there's not. So, again, Dak, uh, on a more lighter note, Dak had a huge ball game last night. And how, and how great is it to see Dak back? And a lot of people, I, I read on social media, too, I, I love the folks that, um, that have so much to say about Dak, good, bad, or indifferent. There are some people in Dallas that absolutely do not understand what they have in Dak Prescott. I mean, Dak Prescott, not only is he a tremendous competitor, a tremendous leader, but the guy is, is, is a program maker. He will make everybody around him better because he has this drive to win that is rarely seen in athletics. He's just one of those kind of people that is allergic to losing and will do whatever he can to win. We went 400 yards passing last night and uh, really put them in a position to win the ball game. And and listen, we all knew what was going to happen, right? We've seen that movie so many times. You go down and you score and you take the lead and you leave about a minute and a half on the clock and, and Brady drives down. And, and people said, well, you know, if the kicker makes the extra point, makes his field goal, let me just tell you this, Tom Brady would have found a way to put it in the end zone. He would have. You know it. In those last three passes, you know, he just kind of drops back and throws it out of bounds to kind of burn the clock up to prevent Dallas from having any real chance to come back. But – you know, I can I can appreciate greatness a lot more when it's in the NFC. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers guy, but uh, 
I'm glad that Brady's not with the Patriots anymore, so we have a realistic chance of getting back to the Super Bowl again. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was a great ball game. NFL probably couldn't have asked for anything better. But to think that, you know, Dallas was going to go into the defending Super Bowl champion's backyard and beat Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, in a season opener, that's a pretty big chore. And I think they almost did it. I think really bodes well for the rest of the season. And people say, well, you know, you know, Zeke was kind of, uh, you know, n- not a factor at all. And a lot of that's got to do with, you know, Tampa, the number one rushing defense in the National Football League. They're a little bit um, flimsy, I guess, in the secondary. They had some injuries. And so, you know, the game kind of dictates the fact that you attack them with the pass. And Dak was up for the challenge. Dak and those guys did their job. They drove the ball all night long really no matter the circumstances. I mean, there are very, very few drives you look at and say, you know what, hey, they blew it here, didn't do that. And I go back to that pass to C.D. Lamb that um, Dak threw in between four defenders, an absolute strike that hit C.D. Lamb in the hands, and then he didn't catch it, and it's picked off. That'll go in uh, Dak's stat sheet, but Dak did his job there. I just don't know how anybody that knows anything about football could watch that game last night and not feel – you know, really excited about what Dak Prescott brought to the table. What is he, 11 months removed from this, you know, major, major leg injury? You know, back during the, the, the preseason, a lot of people were saying, you know, Jack, Dak hadn't done this, and he's not going to be ready for – he's absolutely ready. He's absolutely ready. Ready to see them play the Chargers next weekend. Expecting another big game from Dak. And, and listen, Zeke will be more involved. I'm not a real big Ezekiel Elliott fan. And it actually goes back to the all Ohio State thing and the way all that kind of went down the way that it did. But, um, you know, I think Dak is the guy that makes this thing run. But, you know, you need Ezekiel Elliott to be a real factor offensively in order for this team to get to the playoffs in advance. And that, that's just going to have to happen. I, to my honest opinion, I think Zeke's a bit of a front runner. You know, there are times when um, game's on the line, he kind of disappears. But, um, you know, again, you think about it too, he's still a relatively young back. He really is. Because he missed, you know, basically most of that year to go a suspension, you know, and there was a lot of craziness that went on with all that stuff. But uh, that duo together, you know, Dak and Zeke can really do some big things. They got to, of course, get a few more stops on defense. But um, it's good to see Dak out there being healthy, doing what he loves to do, and really playing at a high level. And I, you know, people used to talk about his arm strength. Uh, I don't think anybody does anymore. There were several contested throws where he threw perfect strikes, the only place that his guy could catch it. Very, very excited to see what Dak Prescott's going to do uh, for the Dallas Cowboys this year. All right, let's go ahead and get today's top ten list done. Again, a lot of talk about the top ten list, uh, the f- first favorites. It has created a lot of dialogue, and I do appreciate that. Enjoy talking music with you guys. So we started with the first favorites from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. We will conclude the week with top fav- first favorites from bands of the 2000s. So some of these bands actually kind of got their start in the 90s, but kind of had their heyday in the 2000s. And that's just the period from 2000 to 2009. And so there may have been some overlap. You know, I could have done, uh, you know, some Foo Fighters and that sort of stuff. Just I'm, I want to kind of include as many bands as we can. So this uh, this list is kind of a... I guess a variation and a combination of a handful of lists. Ultimate Classic Rock had some, and then Rolling Stone had some. And I just kind of pieced this list together 
because there's some bands from the 2000s that I absolutely cannot stand, and I'm not going to put those guys on here. It was a weird time in music around the turn of the uh, the turn of the decade, turn of the century. It was it was it was a really weird time in music. There were a lot of bands that kind of rose to prominence that, that really didn't have a lot of talent, and uh, you know we have these feelings of nostalgia about some of those bands, but they don't get played anymore. You're kind of like, oh well. I used to love those guys. You know, there are a lot of bands that I love that don't get radio play either, unless I put it on Hair Nation on uh, Sirius XM, but that's okay too. And it's interesting to me too that, um, you know, you go back and look at the declining record sales for a lot of those early 2000s, late 90s bands that were kind of hailed as, you know, the front runners of a new era. And then they have like their first album and then their second album kind of they go to prominence and then you look at what they've done. There was one band in particular yesterday I was looking at that their their last album sold 77,000 copies. 77,000. That's it. It's incredible to think about that. And of course, the music industry has changed a lot. You know, now we, we base it off streams and clicks and downloads and that sort of stuff. And record sales are still kind of, uh, you know, not what they once were. But uh, it is a, it's a weird time of music, but that we have we have merged from the uh, the turn of the century with some really great bands. And so, again, music changed a lot. And one of the things that we we kind of eliminated, too, is we didn't have the guitar solo as much. I don't know why we'd stop doing that. And I think one of the things that's done is kind of brought some mundane guitar players to the forefront. But one of my favorite guitar players, arguably the best guitar player of this new generation, is on the list today. All right, let's start with number 10. We're going with P. Roach. Papa Roach, man. From the very beginning, I loved him. I remember the very first time. I can't remember what it was. They had some music service down on on the Baton Rouge cable stations. I guess I was DirecTV back then. But uh, it wasn't MTV. It was a place where you could kind of dial up and request a song. And uh, within an hour or so, they'd play it for you. And this this song, I assume like it got played once an hour, at least every couple hours. And it was everywhere, but it's last resort. And the song still holds up. You can put it on right now, and it sounds like it was released yesterday. It doesn't sound dated in any way whatsoever. But that's Last Resort by P. Roach. And that's back when Jacoby was still uh, a little bit heavier, too. He's kind of committed himself to physical fitness these days and, uh, and doing great. They've, matter of fact, Papa Roach has a new single they dropped this week called Kill the Noise. Pretty, pretty heavy track. Pretty cool stuff. Number nine... Uh, Breaking Benjamin. I know our, our friend Baby Fred. This is his favorite band. I have been a Breaking Benjamin fan. I, I think I was probably one of the first, you know, maybe two or three thousand serious listeners. Everybody else is on XM. I got on Sirius, and uh, I'm a serious Octane guy. I love the, the Octane channel. And so back in those days, like if you called in to request a song, it would play like in minutes because they were like there wasn't that many people on the app. And uh, how I ended up on Sirius is because uh, the XM receivers were sold out at Christmas. And so that's what I got. I kind of got on there by accident. But uh, Breaking Benjamin was a band that was kind of an early octane band as it began to kind of break through. And, and the, uh, the first single that really caught my, my ear was Polyamorous. I love Breaking Benjamin. I have seen them multiple times. Uh, Benjamin, those guys do a great job. You know, they were on hiatus for a while when... Ben was dealing with some anxiety uh, issues, but uh, they're back and better than ever. If you haven't seen them recently, let me encourage you to get out and go check them out. They do a great job. Number eight, a band that really was playing metal when nobody was. It's almost like they they kind of ushered in 
kind of a new era in hard music. And I don't know that people listen to hard music as much anymore, which is a shame. But we're talking Slipknot. Slipknot is one of those bands, you know, led by Corey Taylor. He's got a couple, of course. He's got the solo album out right now, but also uh, did some good work with Stone Sour. And I like Stone Sour a lot. I love um, Gone Sovereign and Absolute Zero. I love those more than a friend. But the work with Slipknot, you know, they had the mask and they had these crazy shows. And Slipknot really built a following based on live performances. Because you felt like you were watching, like, the Cirque du Soleil heavy metal version. I mean, it's, it's insane. If, you, if you've never seen a Slipknot show, let me encourage you to go watch one. But also, too, you can find those videos online, and it is, uh, it is incredible. One of my favorite songs of the last 10 years is Nero Forte by Slipknot. But the one that got me in was Wait and Bleed. And I'll be honest with you, in the beginning, I was kind of hit or miss on Slipknot. I wasn't quite sure, you know, what to make of them. But... They grew on me after a while. They really did. Corey Taylor is a genius. Number seven, a band that has had, if memory serves me correct, they have had the second most rock number one singles in the history of the Billboard chart. And they were passed by another band that will be mentioned later in the show, later in the segment here, but uh, it's Three Days Grace. I preferred the Adam Gautier years. Uh, I like what they're doing now, but it's just not as good. I thought Adam Gautier was a great vocalist. I wish things would have worked out. It's funny how things happen. But you go back to that very first album, and it's the song Just Like You. And again, this is, a, this is one of those serious octane bands from the beginning that uh, they were really, really pushing Three Days Grace. They're a great band even today. Uh, the guitarist brother used to sing for a band um, called Darkest Days. And then when Gautier left, they brought him in. And, you know, Darkest Days had a uh, had a, a hit on uh, alternative rock radio called Porn Star Dancing that was uh, kind of famous. And, um, okay, so number six, a lot of people call them emo rock. I just call it rock. I don't like to really label rock stuff. It's, it's either rock or it's not. But um, it's my chemical romance. We've actually done a top ten uh, for them. And... Uh, you know, I was a little bit leery of them in the beginning, too, because I wondered, if this, is this a band getting by on image, you know, more so than, than content, you know, which is, which is one of the things that killed, you know, the 1980s. It kind of killed the, uh, you know, the heavy metal genre. It's like it, you get to the end of, the, of a decade, and it seems like things get watered down. But uh, My Chemical Romance, I think that actually got stronger as a band, and I'm glad they're back. But the first one that really pulled me in was uh, Welcome to the Black Parade. Uh, Even to this day, I listen to that song. I love the variety in the song. It starts out with a piano, and next thing you know, you're on a roller coaster. Number five, a band that I have seen multiple times. I've actually met the singer of this band and uh, met the departed drummer in passing, The Rev. I actually had a chance to see them in Tupelo. Fortunately, had uh, had a lanyard, was able to go backstage and and meet several of the bands. And... um, Get to meet M Shadows. And we're talking about Avenged Sevenfold. And uh, we should probably do a top ten list for them here in the next few weeks. I'm a big Avenged Sevenfold fan. Uh, those of the cool kids of us call them A7X. And that is actually a biblical name, even though they are not a Christian band. But uh, Matt, M Shadows, is a guy that was uh, raised in a church. And so there is a lot of religious-type imagery and discussion in uh, a lot of their lyrical stuff and listen they have some things that are outlandish too and so in no way am i suggesting 
these guys are going to make a turn for contemporary Christian. They're absolutely not. But uh, the, the song that really brought me in, because I was not really even cognizant of this band before M. Shadows kind of blew his vocal cords out and had to change the way that he sang. You know, so they, they went from kind of being a screaming band to being a regular band. And uh, Bat Country is the one that kind of pulled me in. Bat Country, I think, is a great song. I like Beast in the Heart a lot, too. But Bat Country was my first favorite of any sevenfold song. Number four, as the Scott Stapp divorce from Creed became final, a lot of the music that Mark Tremonti and those guys had written for another Creed album became Alter Bridge. And so they go out and they hire Miles Kennedy, who is uh, arguably my favorite vocalist of this generation, and he's actually my about my age. He's just a guy that kind of, you know, found stardom later in his career but alter bridge is a very positive band they're a band of empowerment they've written a lot of songs about addiction and recovery uh, there are not any bad alter bridge songs there are just some that are better than others and uh, i like the entire catalog but the very first one that got me in was the very first single and that's um, open our eyes and that's off the uh, the one day remains album now when miles joined alter bridge the album was pretty much done he was just kind of a singer for hire and it's one of the reasons that first album sounds so different than the rest. Because when they got into album number two, which is Blackbird, Miles Kennedy, of course, helped write that material. Miles also a guitar player. And so he helped structure some of that stuff. And he and Tremonti, in many respects, are kind of like Batman and Robin putting those things together. And I've, I've met Mark Tremonti, and uh, he is, without a doubt, the best guitarist of this era. I don't think there's any question. And one of the things that he told me, I met him at a show in Birmingham, as he said, it would be when they sit down to write music, like he doesn't come in with finished songs. He comes in with ideas. And then he and my, there's this synergy between he and Miles. And then he's like, oh, yeah, well, what if we tried this? And what if we tried that? He said it would almost be disrespectful to show up with a song that was complete and not let Miles contribute since he's going to play some of the guitar parts. But uh, love Alter Bridge. We've done a top 10 for them. And if you are not into Alter Bridge, let me share with you. Give them an opportunity. I would start with One Day Remains, but Blackbird is one of my favorite albums of all time. Then you get into Alter Bridge 3 and you get into Fortress. Um, you know, it's just, it's one of those things you, you, when you begin to really get into the deeper tracks, you understand how talented those guys are, not just what you hear on the radio. I've said before that when I write the recovery book, I might name it Down to My Last, which is, um, a song off that first Alter Bridge album. Check that one out. Uh, number three, one of my favorite bands of all time. I've had their uh, Junkies for Fame image as my AVI on uh, Gene's page for years and years and years and years and years now. But uh, Shinedown, I've met those guys too. Love everything they've done. There's a couple tracks in their catalog that I'm not real, real big fan of. But um, they're, they just had a new album release type deal that, that's not an album per se they've got a film that goes along with the album attention attention that just came out uh, about a week ago so if you're interested in watching that it kind of takes the story because it's a concept album attention attention is a concept album from start to finish it's about a character that's having all these issues and then he goes through all this chaos and comes out the other side a better person and so there is a there is now a movie about that that's available uh, on iTunes and everywhere else. And so you can check that out, visit them on their socials, and you can find that. But the very first, my first favorite Shinedown song 
came out around the time that my dad was really, really sick. And um, it's a song called Burning Bright. Even to this day, when I put it on, I think about him. They used to play it live. They don't anymore. Uh, but it was so great, they would always have everybody light up their phones. You look around the arena, it was a special experience. Number two, one of the greatest bands of my lifetime. And I don't, even as acclaimed as they are, I don't know if they get enough respect. They actually started uh, in the early 90s, but really kind of rose to prominence later. I, and I would really consider them a 2000s band, but it's Tool. And I understand the Perfect Circle thing. There was all that went on. I love Perfect Circle, too. I love Three Libras. I know Judith is the one that everybody loves, but I like the song Three Libras, too. I like the fact that it's a little bit different. But the very first one, you know, just like we were all going Lollapalooza, it's Sober is the one that pulled me in. Vicarious is my favorite Tool song, but Sober is the one, you know, they have the videos, and the, the band was never in the videos, and you're kind of wondering what these guys look like, and then you do, and you're like, holy smokes. Um but Tool's a great band, and uh, they do a lot of different things sonically. There was one album, they recorded a couple of drum, drum tracks with the drummer in the studio with the drum room filled with helium, and they put him in a mask with oxygen, and so he played this because they wanted, there was a certain sound they wanted. I mean, it's just so weird stuff like that. Maynard is just a different dude. But number one, I think the best band from the 2000s, and I, th I don't think this is really debatable, is Linkin Park. And uh, you got Chester Bennington no longer with us, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Linkin Park. I don't know how you go on without Chester. You know, I don't know how you just go get some singer for hire. I just don't know how that works. But um, it's In the End was the, the first one for me, and that, that album Hybrid Theory really kind of changed music. It's one of the things you look back in hindsight it albums, and we talk about Appetite for Destruction, we talk about Van Halen 1, uh, we talk about Led Zeppelin 4. There are a lot of albums out there that really change the direction of music. Linkin Park, on the forefront of that, really that Hybrid Theory album really changed a lot. And a lot of people say, well, it kind of ushered in new metal. I've always thought Linkin Park kind of transcended that label. You know, them, Korn, and others like that. And, uh, you know, I didn't include Korn on the list. We've done one from them. But uh, I think Korn, in many ways, is kind of a shoot-off. Some of these other bands probably uh, should mention Korn. But um, Linkin Park, I think, one of the most innovative bands uh, of my lifetime. And uh, just really hate that we're probably done getting new music from them. All right, so there you go. That's um, the top favorites from 2000. We'll get into 2010s. On Monday, and then we'll wrap up this this series on uh, Wednesday with the 2020s. That that'll be a little different list because there's only a a couple of years to work with. But it'll give me an opportunity to kind of uh, promote some newer bands, some bands that I have really learned to like here in uh, the last couple of years. So, looking forward to sharing that with you. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out. And let me know. I'm on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. Come check me out. Let me know. And if you're looking for a list, you can hit Roy up. Roy Samante is on Spotify at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-Matic67. Follow him on Twitter. And if you have questions, if you're looking for a list, hit me up or hit Roy up, and we'll find it for you. We'll do our best. He's, he's not as busy as I am some days, but uh, just give us a day or two if you need a list. We'll, we'll be happy to find it for you. But if you go search his Spotify channel, which also is Dogmatic67, you, you should be able to find what you need right then and there. And I uh, appreciate Izzy Mandelbaum putting these great lists over on uh, Apple Music. And so that's always a, a, an adjustment and an addition 
to the social media platform. You know, when Roy puts his list out, then Izzy goes right behind it, and we do. So we have it on Spotify and uh, Apple Music. It's very interesting to me to see how this thing has evolved into what it has become. So there's your top ten list. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookmart.net. I know that you you may be in town this weekend. Maybe you can go by and check them out. You know, game day. It's you know it's a six p.m. kick. So you got plenty of time to come spend the day in Star, go and spend some of your hard-earned dollars here in Octavia County. We appreciate that. Our Starkville vendors, many of them have roared back to life, thankfully due to the NAFL Championship stuff. But uh, you can find some great NAFL Championship gear at Campus Bookmark. Go by and see Stan Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. Everybody else up there, everybody up there with a smile on their face, happy to take care of you. And so if you can't make it to town, Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. That's right. Free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's preview the weekend. You know, there, there are going to be some good games this weekend. There are also going to be some dogs. I mean, you know, they're just, it just is, you know, early in the year. It's kind of how it works. And uh, probably the biggest dog of a game that we're going to see, Alabama State at Auburn. That's going to be one of your 11 a.m. Uh, kicks, and rightfully so. I can't imagine anybody really wants to promote that outside of Auburn folks. But Alabama State at Auburn. Now, one thing I'll say, too, and good for Auburn, good on them, kind of pulling a page out of the Scott Strickland playbook here, is uh, if we, if we have to play an FCS team, Let's kind of keep that money in state and help build out some of those you know, institutions uh, within our home state. So I'm glad to see the game being played. I don't give Alabama State much of a chance to do much in this ball game. I really think that um, Auburn wins this thing going away. Auburn ranked in top 25. Offensively, they looked good last week. You know, you can't tell much just after one week, especially against quality competition that they played. But um, you know, this will be a, you know a, an absolute bloodletting, I believe. Uh, South Carolina is at East Carolina. I picked South Carolina in this ball game, and uh, you know maybe it's just because of the fact that um, maybe I'm I'm rooting for Shane Beamer. But I think you know that they did a good job last week, and actually did better than I expected. And I just don't think ECU is very good, and I think South Carolina could go in there and take the ball game. I think it'll be a competitive ball game, but I do think South Carolina will find a way to win that game. How great would that be for Shane Beamer to start out two and zero? Pretty cool. All right, Pittsburgh is at Tennessee. Both teams won last weekend. Pitt actually looked more impressive. Pitt looked better than Tennessee. Remember, Tennessee was only at, what, 14-6 at the half with Bowling Green, one of the worst teams in the MAC. And, yeah, there's always an adjustment in the, in the first week, and you can't tell a whole lot. But I just think, you know, Pitt looked better. Pitt returned some, some decent skill. I'm actually going to go with the upset here. I'm going to pick – Pitt to beat Tennessee. I'm behind in our jeanspage.com standings. I missed a couple games last weekend, and so I got to get caught up. And in order to do that, you got to you got to pick an upset. So I saw. Yeah, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind here. We're going to go Pitt over Tennessee. Uh, Florida is then at South Florida. I watched that South Florida NC State game earlier this week. South Florida is awful. They are awful. Florida is not awful. But Florida is one of those teams that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll let you kind of hang around. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I, I, I expect an absolute 
blowout in this game. You know, South Florida might score a little bit, but I think South, I think Florida easily covers. You know, South Florida wasn't too long ago. Charlie Strong, I guess Charlie Strong won what ten games, maybe back in seventeen, and it's been a downward spiral ever since. It won't get better this week. All right, UAB is at Georgia. And one of the things that I pointed out in the Jeans Page article, Georgia didn't score an offensive touchdown last week. UAB didn't allow an offensive touchdown last week. Well, they will this week. That game's on ESPN2. It's a 2.30 game. Um, you know, UAB, I think, can make this thing competitive for a little while. But in the end, the talent and the difference in the strength and conditioning programs will take over. Uh, Georgia will win the ball game. I don't, I don't think there's much question about that. I think it's one of those deals, too, where Georgia probably needs to come out ready to roll. And it's like you, you beat Clemson, a big top-five matchup, but you didn't play well. And so you kind of have that moment where it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, we got the big win, but we were so bad on offense. we got to really commit ourselves to playing better offensively. And so you kind of learn the lesson without losing the ball game. So I look for Georgia to come out and be very deliberate on offense and try to get that running game going. Uh, JT Daniels, of course, I think is a guy that's got a really good chance to win the SEC Player of the Year, but did not help that cause in week one. So eager to see how they perform. But again, I won't be the least bit surprised if this is a game at the half. A&M is at Colorado. And I'll be honest with you, there's a, part, there's a small part of me that wonders if, if Colorado can't pull the upset. The game is being played at Mile High Stadium. We broadcast on Fox. A&M ranked number five. I think that's too high. Colorado is unranked. That's probably correct. But going up there and, you know, kind of leaving the, uh, you know, the heat of Texas to go up there and play in the, you know, the thin air up in Denver, you know, if this game gets to the fourth quarter, that could be a real issue. And we hear about it all the time in the NFL, right? I mean, even in the NFL, and even that they get there early. You remember Ryan Clark when the Steelers played at Denver? Ryan Clark couldn't go to Denver. You know, he he's a guy that struggled with sickle cell anemia, and so because of the you know the high altitude, it always caused uh, kind of a flare up in the condition. So he didn't go, and that's a professional player surrounded by medical professionals that is their entire job to kind of keep the team healthy. And so if, if that's the case, you know, what's going to happen when you know, a bunch of college kids go up there for the, really the first time? So we'll see. I think this is going to be a ball game. I think A&M wins it. But I won't be surprised if they don't. Because, I, again, I think A&M is a little bit overrated. And, and it's tough to go on the road and play in circumstances like that. And Colorado, of course, uh, you know, they've had some big years and they've been kind of average too. And so we'll kind of see how things progress. But um, – I've kind of got my eye on that one as, as, as a potential upset. I don't feel obviously as confident about it as I do with Pitt going into Neyland Stadium. But um, I, I think Colorado will, will give them a game for a while. And, of course, we may turn it on at halftime and it may be, you know, 56 nothing A&M. But uh, I really do expect Colorado to at least hang in there for a little while. And, and, again, if a game gets to the fourth quarter, conditioning could be a real factor. All right, we talked about dogs of games. Mercer at Alabama. You know, this is this has all the makings of a 56-7, 56-10 type ball game. Uh, Bryce Young, outstanding last weekend. Again, Alabama's still Alabama. You know, and it's like, it's so interesting, too. It's like, we don't even really know the names yet. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we've heard of some of these guys, but they're not household names yet, and you know they will be. 
that those are the things that just blows me away. It's like you know, Alabama just doesn't really have that, quote, down year. And Nick Saban has basically built a football factory over there where you know, the best in the country want to go to Alabama. They pretty much get who they want. I mean, they don't get everybody they want, but they pretty much do. And we're allowed to see this. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I preferred the Mike Shula years a lot more than the Nick Saban years. It's incredible to think about it. I mean, it really is. And I, I go back to that press conference uh, shortly after Nick Saban was hired. And, you know, Alabama had not done much. You know, I guess Gene Stallings had had you know, several good years. And, of course, Gene, you know, quit. And then uh, they bring Saban in, and he says, you know, everybody around here talks about championships, but there's very few people in the building that's done it. And I think a lot of people even thought that was sacrilegious. You know, that, hey, this is Alabama. You don't come in here and say these things. But, you know, Saban kind of told him, hey, listen, I know what to do. need you guys to give me some room to operate. One of the things that I was told, too, true or untrue, it's a great story, I was told shortly after Nick Saban got there that he went on the road and he, he spoke with many of their donors privately. And when I mean donors, I mean, you know, people that were perhaps involved in some things that, uh, let's say, were unscrupulous. And he told them, stay out of my way. I know what I'm doing. If you want to give some money, you give some money through, you know, through the, you know, the, the A Foundation or whatever. But, you know, we're going to try to do things legit, and uh, I don't need you guys out here getting in my way. And so it's been Nick's way. That's not to say that I think Alabama's a squeaky queen program. You know, I I guess I know too much. But it's just incredible to think what Nick Saban has done and has made Alabama, Alabama. And I talked to Kurt McNair several years ago. I said, you know, Kirk, when when will when will Alabama get back to being Alabama? When will Alabama be you know, the Alabama it was, you know, with Bear Bryant, you know, when you guys kind of dominated the SEC? And he says, as soon as number fifteen graduates, and he was talking about Tim Tebow, and it is remarkable how that's happened. You know, Tim Tebow, one of the greatest college football players of all time, and as soon as you know they won a couple of NFL championships, and Tebow's gone, Alabama kind of takes over. And it's been, you know, really, you know, decade of dominance ever since. Okay, Texas is at Arkansas. This is a sellout crowd. It's a huge ball game. This is going to be one of those uh, separation Saturday moments for both of these teams. Texas is ranked 15, probably too high. Probably too high. But I like Texas in the ball game. I really do. And, you know, Arkansas, that, that game with Rice last weekend was 17-17 in the fourth quarter. That, that's not good. And, again, you know, kind of like the Mississippi State game. You know, you didn't play well, but you won the game. So you survive in advance. But I just think you're looking at Texas. You know, if, if you had a chance to watch any of that game with losing Lafayette, and, and losing Lafayette, a really good G5 team, as we know, they're not going to be recruiting at the same level of Texas or the Power 5 schools. But, uh, you know, they beat Iowa State last year. You know, they're a team capable of winning some ball games. You guys know what you know, Bill Napier's done down there. Um, but Texas beat them up pretty good. Now, this will be a step up, obviously, playing Arkansas. And, um, you know, under the lights, this is, a, this is a big game for the Sam Pittman era, right? I mean, if you're really going to be taking the step forward and kind of showing everybody, that, hey, I'm the right guy, we're heading in the right direction, you got to go win this game. I just don't think they will. And, again, you know, K.J. Jefferson is a guy I'm a big fan of. 
Kendall Browse, I think, is one of the better play callers uh, in the country. You know, he'll know how to use his own read stuff. They'll know how to get the RPO stuff going. I just think Texas is just going to be too much for Arkansas. Now, we might be sitting here on Monday talking about Arkansas is ready to take the next step. I just, I just don't think that they've got the brand of athlete right now to consistently win Power 5 football games. And, and you know, emotion can only take you so far. And Texas understands what's at stake here, too. You know, Texas is trying to show that Texas is back to go into an SEC venue, a place that is very difficult to play, and win that ball game would be big for Steve Sarkeesian. And, and this is a guy, too, that's been in Alabama, you know, so he's familiar with the personnel at Arkansas. And so it's not. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, many of us grew up in a time we didn't lock our doors. We didn't feel the need to. We didn't have a need to. But the world is a much different place today than it was when we were much younger. Surely you've seen your neighbors have these video doorbells and things of that nature. You can have the same peace of mind, but also the convenience that you grew up with, with our friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y. Very, 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 very simple product here. Very easy to install, and you set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. No drilling required, no power tools, anything like that. You get the keyless entry. You don't have to fumble around with the keys when you got your hands full. You never have to worry about your kids losing their keys. Or perhaps you've got a rental property and you worry about people passing that key around. You also don't have the anxiety of having this battery that goes down on you. It's Guys, you got four months of power here, and you get a low battery notification before it runs out so you can charge it back up. It's pretty simple. There's no monthly fee, unlike a lot of other brands that charge you that fee. You can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. Uh, Eufy is also on standby for you 24-7, and you can get a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by our professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or even live chat, which is awfully, awfully convenient. And here's the thing. There's just so much out there in the world these days. Wouldn't it be nice to know maybe who visited your door when you're out or perhaps have the security of knowing that you've got video surveillance anytime somebody comes to your door? We absolutely can. Make sure that you look for Eufy Video Lock. That's visit E-U-F-Y. Y, official.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete troll of your door.
like they're walking in and going to be ambushed. But I like Texas in the game. Uh, Austin P is at Ole Miss. This is, uh, you know, a great opportunity for Matt Corral to pad his stats. I mean, Austin P obviously is, uh, you know, a team that uh, is doing it for the check. You know, when Mark Hudspeth was there, it made sense, you know, but, uh, you know, Hud's not there anymore. So, uh, but, yeah, I mean, Ole Miss uh, looked good offensively on Monday, looked really good defensively early, kind of wore down late. They won't have any issues with that this weekend. That They won't. And then, you know, the message boards will be filled with, hey, look, we're number whatever in the nation in this statistical category after two games, and it'll mean nothing. Uh, but, yeah, Ole Miss wins that game big. I don't think there's any question. And, and the thing about those games, too, and I mentioned this before, it's like you go back to the Chad Kelly injury. You know, even when State's playing – you know, Tennessee State and, and people like that. I just want to get through the game healthy. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's the, the last thing you want. You want to see anybody get injured, but certainly in a game like this. And so this, I'm sure uh, the smart thing to do is, you know, get the lead and, and pull Matt Corral. But, um, you know, I'm sure they're, you know, they're, they're going to hype him up. He'll probably play deep in the fourth quarter. But, uh, again, we don't want to see anybody get injured. But those are the things I always think about in these games is, you know, in a game when the game's in, in, in hand and, you know, something silly happens. Because you never know some of these guys to take cheap shots. I mean, that's just it's kind of part of the thing. But um, hopefully everybody makes out of the game healthy. Okay, Missouri at Kentucky. And so I've actually been looking forward to this game. And, and I've said uh, on this show recently, you know, we were kind of doing the previews of the teams that I, that I thought Missouri would beat Kentucky. I still do. I still do. I think Missouri will go in there and beat Kentucky. Now, they beat them last year 20-10. to 10, And Kentucky had kind of dominated a series for a while while Missouri was kind of wandering through the desert there. I think with Eli Drinkwitz there, they're going to they're gonna know how to attack the Mark Stoops defense. It'll be, that, is, that is the chess match. And it's one of those things, too, like, you know, we talk about good coaches and, oh, well, this guy's a great offensive mind against this defensive guy. This is kind of this is kind of a sneaky, kind of a sexy matchup in that respect. Stoops versus Drinkwitz. I, I think this is going to be an entertaining ball game. I do like Missouri. I'm not sold on the Kentucky offense, and I know it's like that very you can't tell a whole lot, but it's just one of those things. I know that they're implementing a new system. It's, you know, if Missouri can get some stops, I think they'll win this ball game. And last year, that you know, again they held Kentucky to just ten points, and so we'll see how things progress. But I, I'm calling the upset. Missouri at Kentucky. I may, I may look foolish on Monday, but I'm going with that. Okay, McNeese State, led by Frank Wilson, playing at LSU. Man, it's been a rough week for LSU. You know, you lose the UCLA game. There's all this fallout about uh, Ed Orgeron's comments. And, you know, Ed says all the right things in the media that, you know, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to coach better, we got to do this. It all starts with me. And all, and all that sounds good. And uh, I'm a firm proponent, too, that, you know, we, I think sometimes we put way too much emphasis on what people say in press conferences. Well, he didn't even say this. Why did he say that? Well, he needs to take accountability. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody says. What matters is what they do. You want, you want, you want to show me that you're repentant? Then fix it. You want to show me that you're progressing? Then go win the ball game. Because, I mean, how many times have we been to press conferences? And, yeah, and, and again, we, we put way too much weight on these things. It's, it's always about what they didn't say rather than what they said. You know, just like we had the discussion, you know, on Monday about some people saying, oh, well, Mike Leach threw his team under the bus. And he did, and the very first person that he criticized was himself. It's just silly. But at the end of the day, 
what people say in press conferences doesn't mean anything. It means absolutely nothing. It's just a chance for all of us to get quotes and kind of preview an opponent and kind of get the health of the team. The rest of that stuff, man, and to borrow a line from a few good men, it's just smoke-filled coffeehouse crap, man. It doesn't mean anything. Go fix it. Well, they'll get a chance to fix it this week. Uh, listen, this McNeese State team, you know, if they give LSU any trouble at all, then go ahead and fire Ed Orgeron before the day's ever wet. But, uh, you know, LSU should be able to win this game at home. But th- this, this is an embattled program. This is an embattled athletic department and certainly an embattled coach. And so, listen, I don't know what's going to happen with Ed Orgeron. I think at the end of the year he's done. But what's going to happen between now and then? You know, last year, people forget – you know, they were really struggling. And then Orgeron got them fired up, and then they go and beat Florida, and they beat Ole Miss. Then when those are two teams that were playing really well at the time, at least offensively. And so, you know, listen, Ed will have his last stand at some point. But, you know, this is a long season. But, uh, you know, the Tiger fans are already out in force, you know, hoping that he's fired. You know, people are like, hey, who do we want? Who can we get? What kind of money is it going to take to get so-and-so? How do we get this guy? And so those conversations are already taking place. And then there's all, of course, this Title IX stuff just kind of lingering there in the background. And I, and I really believe when LSU gets ready to make a move here, they'll have ample cause uh, to, to escape most of that buyout. I don't think there's any question that uh, they're probably already kind of maneuvering behind the scenes to kind of see what their options are legally because it's pretty clear that most people want him out. And listen, that's kind of how it is at LSU. You know, LSU's had a taste of glory and success, and now they're kind of victims of their own success. And people forget, you know, they, the Jerry DiNardo years, I mean, they lost to Houston. If I'm not mistaken, they even lost to UAB. I mean, they're just, you know, now that they've been back to what they think they should be, and arguably that's correct. I mean, when you look at the recruiting footprint they have to work with and, and the resources they have and the fan support they have, they, they should always be contending for something. You know, but before Nick Saban got there, you know, they were just another team. They were just another good team in the SEC. And so now they think they should be Alabama and that they should be able to beat Alabama on a consistent basis or at least hold serve. And, you know, Orgeron does that a couple of years ago en route to an AFL championship. Well, now the bloom is off the rose. And, again, I think it's just a matter of time before this whole thing kind of blows up. And, you know, we'll see. You know, they, they lose a few more ball games middle of the year. That Then we go ahead and make the change sooner rather than later. But uh, it'll be interesting to watch the news rolling out of Baton Rouge here over the course of the next month or two. Our Vanderbilt's at Colorado State. It's a battle of uh, 0-1 teams. Colorado State actually looked better among the two. You look at their numbers, obviously, that uh, – you know, they, they lose a ball game. But um, to, to South Dakota State, 42-23, but at least they scored some points. And you look, you know, Vanderbilt loses by, what, 20 at home to East Tennessee. Really thought Vanderbilt would find a way to win that game. You know, I, I don't think they go on the road and win. You know, this is a team again. What, what they, what's it, 11 straight games now they've lost? I think that's right. They hadn't, they hadn't won in forever, it seems. And, uh, you know, last year was a complete wash for them. And I remember all of us thinking that, you know, hey, you know, nobody's going to get fired during the pandemic. And then they did. And Mason was among the first uh, to go. And it was just uh, so much chaos around that program last year, it seemed. Every time you turned around, you know, 
there was all this problems with the, you know, this, they weren't letting, allowing fans to come to the game. It was all of it was just wild for a long time. But yeah, looking at this Vanderbilt stuff too, we talked about, you know, that they go oh and they're oh and one this year, obviously. Looking back at last year, was it oh and nine or oh and ten? I think they had a game canceled. Yeah, they went oh and nine last year. All right, so it's ten straight losses, and really not, not many of those games were competitive. You go back to uh, the 2019 season; they go three and nine. So they end the year with a loss to Tennessee. Yeah, they, they beat East Tennessee State 38 nothing, and then they lose to Tennessee to end the year. And so, yeah, we're uh, we're working on a pretty decent streak here that now dates back to the 2019 season. I don't think it's going to get fixed this week. They'll they'll find a game to win somewhere, I'm sure. Um, but when you lose to Tennessee State, East Tennessee State. Is, you know, is there any game you can take for granted? I would venture to say no, because when you look at the, look at the rest of their non-conference schedule, I mean, listen, they're going to host Stanford next weekend. Listen, Stanford hadn't been great, but, you know, Stanford should be able to out-athlete Vanderbilt. Then they get UConn in Nashville, and, you know, that's, that's been a barn burner <laughs> as of late. And outside of that, it's the SEC. I mean, you, conceivably, since they've lost to East Tennessee State, you could see Vandy go 0 for the year. That's not out of the realm of possibility. They lose this week, and then you would say probably their best chance to win the rest of the way is Florida. I mean, excuse me, at uh, UConn before they play Florida. There's not a game they're going to be favored in the rest of the year. It's remarkable to think about that. They're an SEC team. And, again, some of you have commented before, too, about my comments about Nashville. It's weird to think that uh, you know, Vanderbilt is such a magical place in baseball, but, yeah, they can't get anybody to go over there and play football and it, on a full scholarship right? <laughs> it's amazing. All right, so the one game we hadn't mentioned yet is NC State at Mississippi State. I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to go with the homer pick. I'm going to pick the Bulldogs to win the game. I know that NC State is a slight favorite, but the line has come down. Last I looked, it was about a point and a half. I remember it started as a pick then State was the favorite, and then it went up to, I guess, two and a half for NC State. Listen, the bottom line is this is a pick game. You know, point here, point there is not going to make a big difference when it comes to uh, – you know, who should and shouldn't win the ball game? Mississippi State didn't play their best football last week, and I don't think Mississippi State is a bad team, contrary to popular belief. I think there's some people in our fan base that are just waiting for the other shoe to drop because last year was so difficult for us. But, you know, we trended in the right direction down the stretch, and I believe that last week was probably kind of a, uh, a kind of a come-to-Jesus moment for us in many respects. I think our, our, our team learned pretty quick that, you know what, i got to do a better job here. So, again, you win, you win the game and learn the lesson. And it's always great when you can learn the lesson without losing the ball game. Now, players who told me practice this week have been pretty intense. Now it's about getting their legs back under us and getting ready to go. It is a night game. Should be a great crowd. I hope you're coming. I hope you are. Remind you guys, too, and I mentioned this on Wednesday show, please, please, please do your part to help keep the lines moving. Have your tickets ready. Everybody's on electronic ticketing now. Don't wait till you get to the gate. Pull it up. Maybe as you're driving into campus, put them in your wallet, um, you know, on your phone, or when you're walking over from the junction. Let's get all that done before we get to the gate. Because what's happening is fans are getting, oh, I forgot, I forgot I got to get my tickets out. And then, then we've got to go download it. And, you know, sometimes Wi-Fi around the stadium is a little bit of a, a temperamental issue. Let's get that done. And also to remember, cashless transactions only. 
at Mississippi State Athletic Venues. Cash transact. excuse me, no cash transactions. <laughs> cashless, cashless, cashless transactions only. So bring your debit card or whatever your, your method of payment is that is uh, electronic. Do not show up with cash thinking, oh, well, they'll, they'll take my cash. No, they won't. And then you're going to have some angry kids because you told them, hey, we're not going to stop. We're going to eat at the ball game. And then you walk up there with a, you know, a couple of 20s trying to get some hot dogs and nachos, and you're going to be turned away. And, it's again, it's a safety issue. It's not something that's brand new. It's not anything that anybody's doing to try to impede your happiness. You know, the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, we're in a different society today. And so bring your debit card. Be prepared. Line's going to be a little bit longer, right? But understand that, uh, you know, they're not going to take your cash. And you know, no matter how much you fuss, no matter how much you curse, no matter how much that you, uh, you know, show your hindquarters, they're not going to take your cash. They can't take your cash. And it's not those people that work at the concession stand. It's not their decision. So please don't take it out on them, please. So, again, have your tickets ready before you get to the gate and bring your debit card to, to, to facilitate financial transactions at Mississippi State Athletic Venues. Now, again, I believe we're going to win the ball game. I think we're going to play better. Uh, and, again, it's like if we get more of the first and fourth quarter uh, Bulldogs – then we feel really good about things. I think NC State is a good matchup for us. NC State wants to run the football. They've got an experienced offensive line. They love to run left side. They've got a couple big backs, and uh, they're going to try to come out there and get after us. I, I like the fact that teams want to run the football against Mississippi State because so very few do. Go back look at what Georgia did last year against Mississippi State. We held them to, what, a season-low eight yards rushing. And so – now, granted, later in the ballgame, they kind of figured out we couldn't defend over the top, so they kept taking their shots down the field. But um, and that was a one-score ball game, and they were trying to eat up some clock and couldn't do it because defensively we're playing well. Zach Garnett will have a scheme ready to go. Now, he has been very vocal this week. You know, we met with him earlier this week, and uh, he, you know, he, he took a lot of the blame because, hey, this, this I made the wrong call on this play. Now, listen, a lot of that is a coach defending his players, right? But, you know, he is still a guy that's uh, only been calling plays a couple years now. You know, and so I'm sure in his mind, you know, he's still learning. But he talks at length about the big plays that we gave up. You know, it's attention to detail. We miss this. We miss that if we do this. And that's the thing. It's like you can go out there and you can have, um, you know, 65 plays that you play really well, and then you don't play for three, and it's a bad day. And so – it's about kind of getting those guys up to that standard, and I think that you guys will, will fully appreciate that. I do think that we're going to be able to stop the run. Are we going to be able to completely contain the run? Probably not, you know, because they're good at what they do. But you know what? When we played them in 15, that's, they were kind of the same offense. You, know, you had uh, Jacoby Brissett, and they wanted to kind of be – they were kind of like Dan Moe and Light. So we're going to see a lot of that. We're going to see a lot of that – zone read type stuff. They're going to run some stretch plays. They're going to get out and try to make some things happen and make the corners defend and tackle. And so I think we've got to be great at outside backer. I think Aaron Brulee needs to have a big game for us. But I'm going to call it a Mississippi State win. I do think it's a close to competitive game that goes down probably with the last play. Um, I don't think it's going to be a game that, um, that you can afford to go out there and turn the football over. I think NC State, because of their willingness to run the football, 
uh, will try to find a way to shorten the game on you. And one of the things that I think would be helpful to state, if you get the good start and you kind of get them uncomfortable, you, you kind of get them out of their offense a little bit, because when they get in the second half, let's say if we've got a you know, you know, 10-point lead or something, you know, I think you got to try to put the game in the hands of the quarterback. I think you got to make them throw the football a little bit. They want to run it. Don't let them run it. Make them do things. It's just kind of like when you, you know, defend a guy that's only got a right hand in basketball. Make him go left. And so they want to run left. So let's go up there and ensure that we can make those plays and uh, get off blocks when they want to run off left tackle. They want to run that stretch play. We get out there and get some TFLs. Next thing you know, they got to go do something else. So, again, I'm taking State to win. Call me a homer. I don't care. I'm taking State to win. I don't think that it's going to be a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's just going to be a, a kind of a slobber knocker, you know, boxing match type thing. And I think, you listen, you go out there and create some turnovers, you got a chance to, to probably get some separation. But State cannot go out there and turn the football over against NC State uh, like we did against Louisiana Tech and expect to win the ball game. There's no question about that. All right, final segment of the show brought to you uh, by Portico. Reminds me, I think I did a top 10 list without mentioning closeofblair.com. Let me go and get that in now. You, you could, you, this is where you can have two sponsors work together for you, right? So you go to Portico and you find the house you want, and then you get Close of Blair, you get Blair Chandler uh, to close the loan for you. And you know, about that too, you know, Blair Chandler has been a longtime friend of mine. I'm a huge Blair Chandler fan. I've known the guy a long time. We've uh, a lot of water under the bridge together with Blair. So I don't do business with people that I don't trust. And so when I tell you that you can trust Blair Chandler, you can. And it's, you don't just need to take my word for it. Look at his record. Look at what he has done historically. Guy's been in the mortgage industry 21 years. In the top 1% of loan originators, closing rates in the country. Works at Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five lending institutions in the American mortgage industry. So you're not just dealing with some, you know, some snake oil salesman for some fly-by-night, some prob lender. You're dealing with a guy that knows how to get things done. Now, you may have a few warts on your credit history, or maybe perhaps you never even pursued the dream of home ownership. Find Blair today at closewithblair.com. That's closewithblair, B-L-A-I-R, closewithblair.com. Or give him a call. This is a guy also, too, because he, he loves uh, Mississippi State. He is a season ticket holder. He is a guy that uh, is part of our family. And uh, because he loves you, he is going to give you your appraisal for free. That's about a $300 value. All you got to do is just mention to them that, uh, hey, I heard about this on the bond yard. The phone number is 601-500-2344. All right, before we get into this, uh, this final uh, segment of the show, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, talk a little bit about Portico. This is their spot, actually, and so I apologize for running back-to-back ads, but I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville, Portico is where I'd move. If I'm moving now, this is where I'm going. Uh, I'm out here in the sticks now. I love being out here, but I tell you, I would love the convenience of being close to campus. But also, too, kind of off 12, you know, because 12 gets kind of hectic sometimes, right? And so that's the great thing about being in Portico is you're on the 82 side of 12. And so it's quiet, but it's convenient. And then you can get to 82 and over to 25 uh, without even having to fight that traffic on 12. You know, you just go right back out of there, take a left, get back to 82, and take the bypass. Uh, that works for me. I'm a guy that road rages a little bit, and so I would love to be able to do that. And so let me encourage you, go check them out. It's very easy to get to. You, you come off 82 on 12. The very first road is Pat Station 
uh, road there to the right. You take that right. Next thing you know, you go to the stop sign, and there's Portico. New construction, new development, great people involved in this process, people you know and trust. Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog for us, this is a guy that's committed to Starkville. Okay, it's not just, hey, let's go sell some houses. It's like, hey, let's make Starkville better. Let's give people a great place to live to make Starkville a more attractive uh, destination for people that are perhaps looking to relocate in the Golden Triangle. Maybe it's an investment property for you. Maybe it's one of those deals where, um, you know, maybe you begin to look at this thing and say, you know what, we've reached a point in life that we can afford to have maybe an investment property and let that be our our, kind of our ball game retreat. And then we'll Airbnb it out uh, when we can to kind of offset some of the expense. Maybe that's how you looked at it. But whatever your motivations are and your needs are, Brooks can answer your questions. Give Brooks a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Again, make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk about the 1963 Liberty Bowl. I watched a clip yesterday somebody shared on uh, social media. I think it was one of the uh, official Mississippi State accounts. And uh, it was Jack Crystal talking about the 63 Liberty Bowl with his famous quote about it was colder than a pawnbroker's heart, which uh, is an incredible euphemism, to say the least. The 1963 football season uh, was a very good one for Paul Davis in Mississippi State. When we had a good year, we had a good team, and uh, it was one of those things. We had not been to a bunch of bowl games in our history. This is a chance for us to go, and a chance for us to go and uh, take a great trip. And that's back when Liberty Bowl was played in Philadelphia. It was the final year Liberty Bowl was played in Philadelphia. But that year, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, very, very good. We finished fourth in the SEC that year behind Ole Miss, Auburn, Alabama. And uh, right there in the thick of things. Uh, and beat some of those teams ahead of us. How about that? So we opened the year with a 43-0 win over Howard out of Alabama, and then we tie Florida in the swamp 9-9. We go into Neyland Stadium. We beat them 7-0. We beat Tulane 31-10 in Jackson. We beat Houston 20-0 here at Scott Field. We go to Memphis. We lose to them 17-10. That was, that was a big loss, but, again, it's out-of-conference play, and so – uh, it didn't hurt us in the conference standings. And then we go to number seven, Alabama, in a game we, we arguably should have won. Uh, they, if I'm not mistaken, they run a trick play with Joe Namath to beat us. But uh, 20 to 19 losers at Bryant-Denny Stadium. It was just Denny Stadium back then. But uh, so, so we lose at number seven all, at Alabama. We turn around the next week and we beat Auburn, number five Auburn in Jackson, 13 to 10. We take down LSU 7-6 the next week, and we tied Ole Miss in Starkville. And, again, that Matt, that was the, the last year of the futility streak. You know, we, we won in 46 with Eagle Motlich and those guys, and we didn't win again. We went 0-16-3. Didn't beat Ole Miss from 1947 to 1963. We had the tie, and Ole Miss was number three in the country at the time. And we timed 10 10 at our place. And uh, a lot of our people, I like we won an AFL championship. And so we end up going to play NC State in the Liberty Bowl at Philadelphia Municipal Stadium. Now, they have had some big ball games up there, you know, Army Navy game, that sort of stuff. And uh, it was so cold, as Jack Crystal mentioned, that uh, it really hurt attendance. 
So according to the records, uh, there was uh, 8,309 fans that attended the game. It was the smallest Liberty Bowl ever, if memory serves me correct. And uh, they ended up moving the, the game after that. I guess we went to uh, Atlantic City, you know, for a year and uh, was actually played indoors. I guess they learned their lesson. But as the teams took the field, you know, it was already under freezing and it dropped to 15 degrees. And then there was the wind chill on top of it. And so you can only begin to imagine, uh, you know, how cold and miserable that was for everybody involved. Jack Crystal says the coffee was freezing in the cups. That's how cold it was. But interestingly enough, Mississippi State actually jumps off to a big lead in this ball game thanks to a boneyard listener and a, a gentleman that I interviewed for Stark Villains, Bill McGuire. Bill McGuire, known Bill a long time. Uh, many of you know Bill from uh, you know being a high school football coach over in Alabama. Bill is a guy that's very, very popular, originally from Tupelo, Mississippi. Was part of that team that beat Ole Miss in '64 to uh, to end the streak. Went up to Oxford and beat them. Bill was on that team, and um, so how the ball game starts is uh, Bill McGuire actually blocks a punt, and then Tommy Inman picks it up and returns it for a touchdown. We kick the extra point. It's seven nothing. Can you imagine blocking a punt in sub freezing temperatures? Can you imagine the hand sting that went along with that? But Bill McGuire did it. He's a great bulldog. So we, we battle back and we force another punt. And um, actually, you know, they, they got off a decent punt, but we, we get the ball in plus territory. And we drive down and Sonny Fisher uh, rolls in to score. And we miss the extra point. So it is a 13-0 ball game uh, really in the first quarter. And it looked like State was going to run away with it. And you begin to think, too, that uh, – in those frigid temperatures, that weather's not really made for a comeback. So we come back, um, again, get the ball in plus territory there in the second quarter, and then Justin Canale got rest his soul, kicked a 43-yard field goal. And I've had so many people tell me that Justin Canale was just a magician with his foot. He was a guy that could, uh, that could make it from just about anywhere. And so that gets the second quarter off to a good start. And uh, 16 to nothing. We didn't score the rest of the ball game, but it's 16 nothing, And then – NC State gets going a little bit. They score a touchdown and then went for two. Obviously, you know, you're down, you know, two possessions at 16 nothing. They go for two, which really was beneficial to us because, uh, you know, they miss it. They, don't, they, they go for two and they miss. And so now it's, it's a 16-6 to six ball game. So even though they scored, we're still up two possessions. And so – I understand that the thinking there, but it is a long ball game, and you start chasing points early, you, you kind of put yourself in a bad situation. But I'm sure the thought process was, is, you know, we go for it and get it, then we're within a score, and they're touchdown two-point conversion. Well, they, they did score later in the ball game. Nobody scores in the third period. And uh, so in the fourth, NC State finally scores again, and they go for two again, which would have made it a 16-14 to 14 ball game, which would have put them within a field goal. And I can't even begin to imagine trying to kick a field goal uh, late. But they miss it again. So it's a 16-12 game. They go for the onside kick. And uh, they actually it was an illegal touching penalty on the play. And then State holds on to win. Uh, Hole Granger, we talked about him last week, had 94 yards rushing in the game. Uh, Odie Burrell got rest his soul, rushed for 69, and was considered the game's most valuable player. NC State's quarterback, 
Um, Rossi, if I can find his first name here. Apologize for that. But, uh, you know, he goes 5 of 12 and then ran for 67 and uh, also received some uh, some postseason honors. But um, so Liberty Bowl moved around after that. Now it's uh, it's now down in Memphis. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things, too, when uh, that 63 ball game, the ball game lost money. And that's the thing, you know, these people that put these ball games on, they don't do it just for their love of the game. I mean, there are many of these people that this, they, they work at this their entire year to put a ball game together, and then they, they lose about $40,000. And so they ended up moving the game to try to find a way to make it better and uh, move it to the Jersey Shore, and then eventually moved it to Memphis. Pretty cool thing in 1965 so we play in 63 in philadelphia they move it to uh atlantic city in 64 and then it moves to its permanent home in 1965 but again bill mcguire and those guys tell me about just how miserable it was and uh you know from temperature wise but we win a ball game and we go up there and we win the bowl game and again we had we hadn't won a lot of bowl games that's the thing you know in our our what's one thing that made it so significant you know, Ole Miss back in those days went to a lot of bowl games. And some of that, too, was because there were so many Ole Miss-educated uh, legislators. And so they would guarantee that the, the tickets were going to be sold. We didn't get the same guarantee. And so, and listen, to be honest, you know, Ole Miss under Johnny Vaught was a much better football program, which is kind of call it for what it was. But uh, a lot of it, too, is because Johnny Vaught really committed to signing as World War II veterans. And and uh, as a result, they, they, were, they were a more mature team. But – you know, we won the Orange Bowl back in uh, 40 under McKean. That was our first bowl win. We had gone to you know, two Orange Bowls in uh, a matter of uh, five seasons. And then we don't go back until 63. And so just think about that in hindsight. You know, early years of McKean, you beat Georgetown 14-7, and we don't even go to a bowl game again until 1963. Now, some years we didn't have any business going. We weren't a good enough team. But there were other years, like in 1946, we go 8-2, and and we stay home. And a lot of people, a lot of critics of uh, Al McKean said it was because of his antiquated style of coaching and that nobody was excited to see the wing tee. The bottom line was it's Mississippi State just wasn't respected back then. Mississippi State did not have the financial backing that many other schools did. And bowls were absolutely about making money. And so we didn't travel real well back in those days. You know, we were a bunch of small town farmers kids and it was tough to get to ball games. And so uh, when you had the legislature kind of guaranteeing ticket sales, people that made Ole Miss more of an attractive, uh, you know, bowl participant. And so we've come a long way since then. We absolutely have. All right, listen, let's get ready to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for your, uh, your support of Boneyard all these many years. The, uh, the numbers are better than ever, and I thank you guys for it and appreciate so many of you reaching out uh, to kind of share your support. And, uh, listen, go buy your books at dogpiledabook.com. And, again, you can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, and Dogpile there. Dogpile will be released uh, early November. We were hoping for late October. I guess it's still a possibility, but it's pretty remote. So expect the books uh, in November. But, again, to guarantee you get one, you need to pre-order dogpilethebook.com. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.